0: I begin to sit on, on Thursday. Now here's the thing. I have, it's going to sound contradictory to some of the things that has been gone on and seen in the past, and I don't mean it to. Um, but when I begin to pray about this next step, since we've been talking about our authority in Christ and who we are, some of the dangers in that can come out as laziness in the church. All right, um, we, we are, so again, please understand, this is not taking away from the gospel of inclusion. This is not taking away from the gospel of, 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 of in Christ, uh, uh, that he has done the work. It, there's no, really no work to be done. But how many of you know, just because I don't have to go out and earn my salvation, that doesn't give me just to do whatever. And so um, the word describes us as sons and daughters of God. The word says that we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ and he's the firstborn among many brethren. That means we're in the direct lineage of God. The word says that he is the king of kings. Well, he's not the king of of all kings. He's the king, you're the kings. The word, I'll show you some scriptures over the next few weeks that where he calls you kings. So when we say, well, Jesus is the king of kings, he's talking about the king of you. We want to put all this stuff on the world. Let me tell you, the things I want to talk about have nothing to do with people outside the body of Christ. We're going to talk a little bit about repentance here in a few minutes. And I want to tell you, the church has to get past the point where we're trying to get everybody out there to repent. The church needs to repent. We've fallen out of love for people. We've fallen out of love for things. We don't see people as already accepted by God. We don't see people as, a, and so we find all this infighting. We find all this judgmentalism. But you know, the church, it can't be judgmental, right? That's something to repent about. That's a, you know, repent means to change your mind. Alright, it means to change your mind. When Jesus said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he's saying change your mind about the kingdom of heaven because the kingdom of heaven is here in your midst right now. So to begin to change your mind. So we're going to talk about some things. You know, the word says we've been talking about authority that we're to be the ruling our lives rather than letting life rule us. No? (laughs) Okay. We should be the controlling factors in our jobs, in our homes, in our lives. This is who we're called to be. The word in in the Bible, the church is called glorious. But we live as anything, as everything else but. It doesn't change who we are, it changes how we're living. The word tells us that we should be rulers of sickness and disease, but we live more as slaves to antibiotics. Come on. The word says that we should store up like kings, but our storehouses are filled with cobwebs and we wonder why are we not getting these things? In in Luke chapter, please, well, no, that's okay. I got choked on water. Luke chapter 22 verse 29 from uh, the King James Version. Again, today's message is going to be different. And please understand my heart, it's not taking away from the glorious grace of Christ. But just because we are covered and filled with grace doesn't mean we always walk this out like we're supposed to walk. Some, how many of you know sometimes we walk opposite of what we're supposed to be walking? Luke chapter 22, verse 29. And I appoint unto you a kingdom as my father hath appointed unto me. That word appoint, it means this, it means to arrange or dispose of one's own affairs. So what Jesus said, he says, I am disposing of my kingdom, of my affairs, and I'm putting it on you. So the fullness of the kingdom now resides in the body of Christ. Come on. Hey, let me tell you something. It's not just this and us. You know that he is the savior of all men. Jesus looked at the uh, Pharisees who weren't even following them and told them that the kingdom of God was in them. All right. See, this is why the church needs to repent because we don't look at, at people who have not awakened to this salvation yet as full of the kingdom of God. Alright, I'm trying not to get ahead of myself too far. But he says, to a point is the assignment of something that belongs to one. So Jesus says, I'm giving you a kingdom. This is my kingdom and I'm assigning my kingdom to you. And the word kingdom there, it is royal power, it is kingship, it is dominion, it is rule. So Jesus says that I am assigning to you dominion. I'm assigning to you power and I'm assigning to you rule. And then what we're needing in this day and age is we need to, oh, this is going to, this is going to get me in trouble. We need to quit running around here and saying, God changed our country. God changed this. God changed that. Maybe we need to turn around and look at the church and say, God changed the church so that she becomes what you invented and created her to be. Maybe you birthed us as a kingdom. And we need to quit expecting a man to get us out of the mess that the church should have been. We've deified politicians too long. Oh, The word kingdom is right, dominion, rule, authority. It's authority to rule over a kingdom. This series is called Kingdom Focus. And we're going to talk about some kingdoms. Go to Matthew chapter 16. I'm just going to give you scripture. I'm going to try to get through this. I'm, if I finish today, I'll, it'll be a miracle from God. Matthew chapter 16, verse 17 to 19 from the message says, Jesus came back. And this is, you all know after Jesus said, well, who do you say I am? And Jesus said, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And this is where Jesus picks up the story. It says And Jesus uh, came back. God bless you, Simon, son of Jonah. You didn't get that answer out of books or from teachers, but my father in heaven, God himself let you in on this secret of who I really am. Maybe we need to quit littering everybody's books and trying to learn everybody else's things and we need to let the father begin to reveal to us the plans and the purposes that he has on the earth again. Amen. You have a divine connection to God. You know, there's even the scripture says you have need of no man teach you means we should be hearing from God we should be getting from God but we've what we've done is we've got, we, we we've had power hungry pastors and apostles and prophets and everybody else and they think they're the only ones that hear from God and everybody else just succumb to it and say well we'll just hear what the pastor." no you hear from God yourself he speaks to you in your heart it is time that no man teach. That, yeah it's, it's good we come in here that's my job is to lay foundation is to set things out but your job is to go and do it hear from God and do it outside of the walls of this place he said, and I'm going to tell you who you really are, really are. You are Peter, a rock. This is the rock on which I will put, my chur- put together my church, a church so expansive with energy that not even the gates of hell will be able to keep it out. Amen. Mm. Now, I want you to understand one thing first as we get into this, again, you're gonna hear things from me today that that you don't normally hear from me. Is that word church, Peter didn't say, oh great, we're gonna have a steeple and we're all gonna get together and we're gonna love on everybody and we, that's good. But that's not what he meant there. Peter didn't have an understanding of church as we have it now. Peter understood that that word was actually ecclesia. It was a whole different thing. When Jesus said to him, he said, you're a, f- a foundation on which I will build the Ecclesia. That word Ecclesia is a legislative assembly or it is, means selective ones. Folks, that word is not even a religious word. Jesus wasn't being spiritual with Peter. Oh, I'm gonna we'll build, you gonna build a church. Know what he said, he says, on this revelation of who I am as the Christ, as the one who will finish it all and complete it all, out of that revelation, I will begin to build a legislative body who will have dominion and authority in the earth, the same as my dominion and authority. You aren't, yeah, we're supposed to come here and gather together, but the church is not a bunch of people that gather together, the church is people who will stand Stand up in the face of darkness and declare enough's enough, and they will stand and say, I declare that the righteousness of God will burst forth. The whole earth is covered with this glory, and the church needs to bring that glory out. This is the ecclesia. You are, we are, we're not meant to just come together. This is where we come together and strengthen each other. This job of the ecclesia means when we go out here and we start taking our rightful place as a kingdom. We become a legislative ascent. So when Jesus said this to Peter, Peter understood he was talking about a political term. I'm not trying to get into politics. I'm not doing all that. But but that word ecclesia, it's a group of people who've been summoned, who've been gathered together for the purpose of governing the affairs of a city. Are you with me? I told you it's not something you normally hear me preach. But after 24 hours of sitting, I've got things I got to say. I didn't know they were doing all this prayer stuff around, around the world. I, I didn't know Sunday. Actually, I went home. I went to bed at 7.25 Saturday morning. And I get a phone call from Sandra Kelstad at 10 o'clock. She probably thought I was drunk. <laughs> telling me about this prayer thing that's going on. And uh, I thought, well, I'm already in this thing. So so Jesus is using this term and he's given governmental Authority to those who've awakened to their salvation and are walking it out. That's the governmental authority that's been given to the church. We don't act like this kind of church. Now I'm not talking about Harvest Christian Fellowship. I'm talking about the body of Christ. As a whole, does not operate in a place of governmental authority. But it should. That's why I've been teaching on your authority in Christ for the last four weeks. That's why this has to come out today. We have to be, now let's go on to verse 19. I love verse 19 from the message. What are we in there, Bob? We're still in Matthew 16. He said, and that's not all. You will have complete and free access to God's kingdom. Keys to open any and every door. No more barriers between heaven and earth or earth and heaven. I read a a thing this morning. This guy says, I do not believe anybody's going to heaven. And I thought, wow, that's a big statement. And then he clarified, heaven is here because God has brought the kingdom of heaven here now. But we don't act like it. This this referendum, this message today is a referendum on the church. It's not on us individuals, it's not on the work of Christ. This is what the church has become. So he says, you'll have the keys to open any and every door, no more barriers between heaven and earth and earth and heaven. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. King James version says, what you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. In other words, what you declare to be lawful on the earth he will declare to be lawful in heaven. And what you declare unlawful on the earth, he will declare unlawful in heaven. We're going around complaining about abortion and all this other stuff. Let me tell you, you know where that lies? It doesn't lie in the government. It doesn't lie with them. It lies at the feet of the church who would not stand and declare Oh, it's going to, you won't clap in a little bit. <laughs> we want to lay everything at everybody else's feet rather than just say the church is not being who she's supposed to be. Because we don't want to look at ourselves. We've been happy in our salvation. We've been happy in the grace that God has given us. But that doesn't mean the work... And again, I'm not talking about striving is over because there's still people out there who've not been awakened to this salvation and it's gonna be up to us to say, hey, look, you're already invited into the, the party's already started. All you have to do is come on in. All you have to do is walk. You don't have to work this thing out. Somebody's gotta, come on, somebody. Somebody's gotta tell somebody that they're in. Romans says, how can they hear without a preacher? That's not talking about a pastor. It's talking about you. You're the preacher. You're the messenger. That word preacher there just means messenger. Mm. A yes on earth is a yes in heaven. A no on earth is a no in heaven. So this is the ecclesia. Jesus said, I will build my church. He will build what we are. We are a rightful governing body on the earth. With a right to speak The same with the same authority as God Himself spoke in creation. Remember Genesis chapter one, verse twenty-eight, and God breathed into man a living soul, and it became to him a speaking spirit. That is why we we are who. So the question then is, what will this church look like? What will this ecclesia be really concerned about? What will the so I begin to, to think, and I wanna take you to one of the kings. He's actually known as the greatest king of Israel. And you like, well, that was David. The word tells us that it, when he became king that there was not another king that ruled like this one. His father was known as a wicked king. His son was known as one of the most wicked kings. But in his time, He was known as one that there would never be another one like him. He took the throne at 25 years old and I honestly, this is what what really stands out to me when I begin to study about this. I believe that if we will have young men and women, and I've got young men and women in here today, that they will let God move in their hearts the way he wants to move in their hearts. You'll change the world. You'll change the world. and I'm talking about Hezekiah. Hezekiah took the throne when he was 25 years old and he ruled the throne on the throne for 29 years. And, and in this time, as I begin to look at this, he decided when he took over from his wicked father that there had to be a change in the nation. That the nation couldn't go. And, 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 and the focus of hezekiah's reign i think is is the, the first kingdom focus that we need to be focused on and the first thing that hezekiah started to focus on ted was revival the first th- now we we think revival we're, we we think we're going to call a bunch of meetings a bunch of evangelistic crusades we're going to pack everybody in and we're going to tell them that they're rotten they're filthy they're doomed they're going to go to hell and burn forever and and that's not revival That's not a revival. That's an abuse session. Oh, I'm gonna get in trouble. (laughs) Revival is the reviving or the bringing back of something that once had life. And I believe revival doesn't start with Believers or people who have not awakened to sound revival starts with those of us who were once full of life, who remember what it was like the first time we came alive, and we have somehow fallen to sleep and forgotten that we are the ruling authority on the earth. That's revival. So none of this over my over what I'm preaching. Please don't think about your neighbor or, or or somebody down here under the bridge or somebody with a needle stuck in their arm. This ain't about them. This is about the church. So the first thing Hezekiah did is he saw the iniquities, not iniquities, the inadequacies of their current ways of worship. The first thing Hezekiah did. Is he saw inadequate inadequa- inadequacies in their current ways of worship? Second Kings, chapter eighteen. This is just Second Kings, chapter eighteen, verse one. And in the third year of Hosea, of Hosea oh, yeah. Son of Eli, the king of Israel. Hezekiah, son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem for 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, uh, daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord just as his father David had done. Now here's the first thing he did. He removed the high places smashed sacred stones and cut down the Asherah poles now if you don't know what an Asherah pole is hang on we're going to talk about it in just a moment he broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses made and up to that time the Israelites had been burning incense to it calling it Nahushtan Hezekiah trusted in the Lord, uh, the God of Israel, and there was no one like him among the kings of Judah, either before him or after. In case you didn't know that about Hezekiah. So Hezekiah's call for revival, his focus on revival, started out with removing the high places. What, you, what the high places were, were altars that were bent, built Where they would go in and they would sacrifice. So the the children, these were God followers, had began to worship other gods. They had turned polytheistic. So they began to worship all these other gods. Oh yeah, Jehovah was included in that. But they began to add everything else. Something else became the focus of them. And so they began to take it. So what he did is he began to call people back to the house of God. By smashing and casting down the Asherah stones. Now, what were the Asherah poles? So they involved themselves in this polytheistic worship. And Asherah poles could be trees, they could be silver, they could be rock. And they represented trees. If it was trees, they would plant these things and they would cut all the stems off of it. And then they would shape this thing to resemble crudely A male body part. Wonder why there's no kids here today. And so what they were doing is they were involved in sex worship. They had brought sex into their worship. And this is what the first thing he did is he began to take the sexualized thing out of their worship. And I know, so there are they're all kinds of sexual perversion and lust. And you say, well, how in the world is the church today involved? Well, let me read you some statistics. I told you this is, this is not what you usually hear from me. Most people of a child's, the average age of a child's first exposure to pornography is eleven. of all kids have watched pornography by the age of 14. 40 million Americans are regular visitors to a pornographic website, and most of them last, most visits last six and a half minutes. There are 42 million porn websites on the internet. Now, if you're wondering how many that is, that is 370 million individual pages. The porn industry brings in more money than the NFL, the NBA, and the NHL together. It brings in more money than ABC, NBC, and CBS together. 70% of Christian youth pastors have dealt with one of their students struggling with pornography in the last year. 68% of church-going men And 50% of pastors have viewed pornography websites in the last 12 months or on a regular basis. Young Christians, 18 to 24 years old, out of this study, 76% of them had searched for porn regularly. 59% of pastors interviewed said that pornography, that they have at least uh, one or not more married men in their congregation that is regularly use porn. 33% of women ages 25 and under are, are, is searched for porn at least once a month. See the internet, trust me, I'm not saying all these things are bad. How many of you know this will destroy a family? This will destroy your, this will destroy you. 87% of Christian, this is from Barna Research if you're wondering where I got this from. 87% of Christian women have watched porn. 57% of pastors said that porn addiction is the most damaging issue in their congregation. Wow. Folks, we need revival. Why do you think that Sex trafficking is a focus right now. This has nothing to do with them. This is on the church. I read your statistics from the church. Had nothing to do with everybody else. That's church statistics. Come on, folks. These are people that sit and worship with us. And we want, we're, we're waiting for, for, we're waiting for people who haven't been enlightened to grace and love and mercy to come when we, and believe that there is freedom when those who declare that there's freedom don't have it. Y'all good? I know it's tough, but let's talk about the inadequacies of the church. Not that the inadequacies of everybody else out there. We need to repent. The word tells us to repent from dead works. These are zombie works. Remember we talked about the zombies several weeks ago. This is part of your dead nature, the nature that Jesus has already killed, the nature that he has already, but what we do is we try to bring these things back up and we hope they don't bite us. Come on. The word tells us, it's a, how many of you know it's okay to repent from dead works? This is dead works. So we need an awakening in the church. And I, I'm, I'm telling you, I, I believe like Hezekiah. Now, let me tell you something else that happens. Is the next thing he did is he destroyed the bronze serpent of Moses. Now, everybody knows, remember the serpent? The snakes came out. They bought, bit all the children of Israel. They all fell over dead like they were going to die. Many of them did die. God told Moses, build a bronze serpent, put it on a pole, raise it up. We know it was a, sh- a shadow of Christ. And everybody that looks on the serpent will live. The problem was, is they began to worship something from their past. The next focus was not only to get rid of the sexual perversion that had entered into the body of Christ, into the body of God, but next thing, they were worshiping the way they had always done things. Well, that was a great thing that God did. God made a big move in this. And see, what happened is the church gets hung up on something, say, well, that God moved that way once. That doesn't mean God's going to move that way again. And if you're stuck worshiping the things of the past and worshiping the way things are going to be, we're never going to be the body of Christ that he's called us to be because we would rather worship our religion than worship our Savior. And so they found themselves worshiping a religion. They found themselves worshiping the things of their past. You say, well, that don't happen in a church today. Really? Let me go to change the carpet. Let's change the way we do worship. Let's change the stage. Let's change things in here. And watch how many people get twisted sideways over this. You want me to tell on you all for a minute? I won't tell on every churches. I first came here, the first thing I did was I painted the office. It was okay, it was decorated nice, but that was Bert's office, nothing against Bert. Don't go, don't go saying silly stuff like that. But his style's not my style. So I tell you, do you know I had people say things to me about that? I'm just talking about our church. Facebook, sorry, maybe you don't do this. You say, well, what in the world does that matter? Exactly, when we begin to worship the things of the past, we begin to worship how we've always done things, then what happens is, is our past has become our God and our God sits back waiting on us. The church needs to be looking into the next move of God. Okay, great. God moved that way. Fine. What's next? That's right. Somebody come to me one time and they said because I was raised in a different denomination that didn't believe some of the, that doesn't believe some of the same things that I do now. And they said, don't you think like you've left that and and, and it's and they were wrong. And, and I said, well, no, they weren't wrong. They weren't enlightened on everything that I see the way I see things now. I said. But I haven't left that, I've built on top of that. I've added more revelation of my God on top of what I already had. What we do is we get stuck in a way, and that's the way, and nobody can change it. Nobody's gonna move. That's not the, me, Bob and I joke all the time because this is a big thing to me. And I'll say something about, something and Bob say, well, that's not the way we do things. And it's become this big joke between Bob and I. But see, that's the way it is. We worship stuff more than we worship God. And we're afraid that if every message doesn't sound a certain way, that there's nothing else out here to be said. Oh, come on. You can worship preaching too. I'll come over here and see if that works better. (laughs) Because messages that come like this make us angry even though it's still biblical truth. (laughs) Folks, we have to crave the next move of God like it's the next breath we're going to take. And we have to understand, it may not look like it looks right now. It may not sound like it sounds right now. It may not be exactly like it is right now. But we're going to have to say, that's okay. I will go with God. I don't care if I don't like the style or not. All right. I don't know how long. The next thing he did is he began to call people back to the house of God. This is, a, this is a sad thing that we should never have to say. But it's time for people. This has been my prayer here lately. God, bring those back. That's, folks, you know not everybody's supposed to be at this church. And that's okay. But got, we need to call people back to a community. Back to it together. The second Chronicles chapter 29. Yes. When y'all have had enough, just look at me and go like this. (laughs) Hezekiah was 25 years old when he became king and he reigned in Jerusalem 29 years. His mother's name was Abijah, the daughter of Zechariah. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, just as his father David had done. In the first month of the first year of his reign, what did he do? He opened the doors of the temple and repaired them. He was calling people back to the house of God. He called people back to a place of corporate worship. Yeah. And in a world we live in, corporate worship is a lost thing. Doesn't mean you have to come to church to be right with God, I'm not saying that. Cause that's another fallacy the church has portrayed too. But the word does say in Hebrews, to forsake not the assembling of yourselves together like some do. Yeah. We can't leave that out either. He called people back to a place, a physical corporate worship, a place where he strengthened the the house of God back to the way it should be and invited people to come join him. 2 Chronicles chapter 29 verse 4. He brought the priest and the Levites and assembled them in the square on the east side and said, now the Levites took care of all the stuff in in the temple and the priest The Levites actually were even the teachers. And the priests were the ones who actually went into the holy place. They offered the sacrifices. Um, I'm not even going to try to show you some parallels to the modern day uh, offices in the church. We'll do that another time. And he said, listen to me, Levites, consecrate yourselves. He said, get yourselves together. You're children of God. Start acting like it. Consecrate yourselves now and consecrate the temple of the Lord, the God of your fathers. Remove all defilement from the sanctuary. Now before you start saying, well, that defilement in the sanctuary, don't listen to rock music, don't listen to country. Y'all know how I feel about all that. Don't go watch, them. that's not what he's talking about, defilement in the sanctuary. Removing defilement in the sanctuary is one, they had brought those items of worship into the house of God. The second thing that they did was they began to operate in this polytheistic worship. They'd go over here and worship the brazen serpent and try to worship Jehovah here and go over here and try to worship this. Everything became a a different focus. Romans chapter 12 verse 1, and it's not going to be on your screen. He says, let us, now he's talking to believers, he's not talking to unbelievers or people who've not awakened to salvation. He said, let us lay aside the weight and the sin that does easily set us backward. One translation says the sin that we easily fall into. He's talking to believers there. He said, lay aside the weight, why? Because you're bringing up dead works. You're trying to revive something that Jesus has already destroyed. It's like playing with a dead body. They stink after a while. But he says in Romans chapter 12 verse one, let us, the body of Christ, lay aside every weight. Anything that's gonna hold us back. Maybe it's not sin. Actually, we can show you scripture where he says, sin's done, that everything is rightful to the believer. Doesn't mean everything's beneficial to your life oh that'll get you in trouble (laughs) maybe there's weights in our life that we've carried that we need to lay aside that God's just saying hey man just give it up well I know I know uh, know D needs to quit smoking so she needs to give that up (laughs) well one it's none of your business (laughs) D don't smoke She's smoking hot, but she ain't smoked. But see, what we want to do is we want to pick on everybody's behaviors and we think, well, that's the defilement in their life. Maybe it's just something where God is saying, hey, if you lay this down, it's holding you back. Maybe it's a hurt from your past. Maybe it's a mentality that you've developed that this needs to be let go of. Well, come on. Verse six, our fathers were unfaithful. They did evil in the eyes of the Lord our God and forsook him. They turned their faces away from the Lord's dwelling place and they turned their backs on him. They shut the doors of the portico and put out the lamps. The focus on revival is gonna be a focus on a local church again. Not that we can have a bunch of numbers but so that we can encourage each other, we strengthen each other, and then we go out in the streets and we be the body of Christ that we are called to be. And when you need somebody, you can call Bill in the middle of the night because there's a relationship with Bill. They did not burn incense or present any burnt offerings at the sanctuary to God. Folks, it is time. For the church to repent of what she's become. She has become known as the great judgment. I told you a story several years ago. I read from Philip Yancey in his book, What's So Amazing About Grace. When a young woman prostitute in, in Chicago, on the streets of Chicago came up to him and began to tell how horrible her life was. And she actually said to him, I can make more money renting out my two-year-old daughter that I can make in a day. And he, he didn't know what to say to that, Bob. And he asked her, he says, well, have you thought about going to the church? And you know what her reaction was? Church, why would I go there? I already feel bad enough about myself. They should never feel that way coming in here. Right. We talk about the love of God. We talk about the grace of God. We talk about God's acceptance. And yet we struggle when we, to accept them. No matter what they're doing. No matter where they're at or where they're at in their life. I'm going to, it gets better here in a minute. So what he, he tore down the brazen altar. He took out the sexual things. He invited, he opened the, 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 the local church back up. And the next thing he did is he restored true worship. He restored true worship. In 2nd Chronicles chapter 29 Verse 20, he said, early the next morning, the king King Hezekiah gathered the city officials together and went up to the temple of the Lord. And they brought seven bulls and seven rams and seven male lambs and seven male goats as a sin offering for the kingdom. How many of you are, thank God, Jesus did that once and for all and we don't have to do it anymore? The sin offering's already been paid. So we don't have to continue to offer this. The sin offering has been paid. That doesn't mean we still don't try to pull up our old nature though. For the saints and for Judah, the king had commanded the priests and the descendants of Aaron to offer these on the burnt offering. So their standard of worship then was a return to the sacrifice of, of Anah. Today we don't have to do that because Christ finished it all. He took care. The sin offering has already been paid. But what if true worship actually came, comes back to the point where the church begins to walk in the knowledge of who they are in Christ, knowing that Jesus has already paid the sin offering and that we see the world through the lens of a grace that cannot be explained, understood at times, and will even make you mad at times. Well, grace will make you mad. Yeah, grace will make you mad. (laughs) Because when we say stuff like this, we think that it takes away the need for justice. It is justice. It is the ultimate injustice. Well, somebody's got to pay. Thank God somebody did. What if returning to true worship is not about doing all this stuff to try to make ourselves right with God, but returning to true worship is walking in knowing that he has set us right and we rejoice and we live in a praise attitude from one day to the next because he has done it all. The next thing he did is he took a stand and invited others to join him. Now, before you say, we're going to take a stand, we're going to draw a line in the sand. Now, we are the ruling and reigning body of Christ. We can take a stand. We are the Ecclesia. But this taking a stand is different than what you think it is. is. Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 1. We still okay. We're coming to the end of it. 2 Chronicles, chapter thirty, verse one. And Hezekiah sent word to all of Israel and Judah, and also wrote letters to Ephraim and Manasseh, inviting them to come to the temple. Didn't Jesus say, "Go into the highways and byways, and compel them, convince them, come on in." The party started come on in. The dance has already started. We're just waiting for you to come and be our dance partner. There you go. He invited everybody saying, Hey, the party started folks Come on in yep. mm. to celebrate the Lord, the Passover to the Lord God, the God of Israel. The king and his officials and the whole assembly in Jerusalem decided, the whole assembly decided to celebrate the Passover in the second month. They had not been able to celebrate at a regular time because not enough priests had consecrated themselves and the people had not assembled in Jerusalem. Maybe it's time for the real priests to say, you know what, I'm going to move forward. I'm gonna be who God has told me to be. I'm gonna walk out this great grace life. I'm gonna be the one that lays hands on the sick and they recover. I'm gonna gonna lay aside the thing that's been holding me back, that I've been hanging on to, I've been petting a dead cat. Come on. I'm gonna lay that thing down, I'm gonna get the stench of that off me and I'm gonna be who God called me to be. Maybe then Maybe then our churches will start filling up. The plan seemed right to both the king and the whole assembly. They decided to send a proclamation throughout of Israel, throughout Israel from Beersheba to Dan calling people to come. I keep hearing the words of Jesus. Go to the highways and the byways. Get the sick, get the lame, get the drug infested, get the prostitute, get them all and tell them the party's already started. All you gotta do is come on in. You're accepted here. You don't have to put on the right set of clothes. You don't have to do anything other than show up to the house. Mm. They called the people to come to Jerusalem and celebrate the Passover to the Lord. The God of Israel had not been celebrated in large numbers according to what is written. They hadn't done it in large numbers. So all we're worried about is large numbers. No, but I tell you, large numbers happen when we start acting like Jesus. Ask Jesus, they followed him everywhere. Here's the funny thing about it. Because some people will take this message today and, and, and do something different with it. They'll twist it up. Make it say that it—you know—I'm trying to preach works-based. That's not what we're doing, and they'll laugh. Revivals have always been laughed at. Moves of God have always been laughed at. Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 10. Second Chronicles chapter 30, verse 10. It says the couriers went from town to town in Ephraim and Manasseh and far as Zebulun, but the people scorned and ridiculed them. There'll always be people who's going to laugh. Perry, there's always going to be somebody that's going to talk about me for preaching what I preach. For believing what I believe. That's okay. They can do their thing. I'm not, I, I don't have time for it, Lori. I just don't have time for it, Renee. But here's the kicker. When everybody comes, here's the last focus of this revival. Go ahead to that next one, Bobby is you can't get upset when they show up. I'm talking to Harvest specifically today. You cannot get upset when they come. If you're gonna act like Jesus, people's gonna know why you act like Jesus. They're gonna wanna be where you are. Now here's the kicker. Go to 2 Chronicles. You can tell where I lived for 24 hours. 2 Chronicles chapter 30, starting in verse 18. Although most of the many people who came from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, (coughs) go ahead, Bob, had not purified themselves. Most of them who came We're still not purified the way that rules tell them to purify themselves. If we're really going to act like Jesus, this church will begin to look like something that you may be very uncomfortable with. Filled with people that you're going to have to get over something inside of yourself To love them past the hell that's already in their life. He said most of them that showed up for the party wasn't pure. Now we know God has taken away the sin. We know that Jesus took away the sin. We know that in God's eyes, they're already pure. Amen. But that doesn't mean that what we're doing on the outside lives out that way. Come on. See, you can't get upset when they start coming in and they're not living the way you think that they should live. They had not purified themselves yet and they ate, that means they, they were still carrying some of the dirt, the gunk and the funk. And what were they doing? They still worshiped God. They can't be worshiping God doing that in their life. They can't be worshiping God living that way. Church has done that for years. And look where she's at. Go to the top of that verse again, Bob. Although most, wouldn't it be awesome if this church is filled with more people who live in a way that you would never live and are still worshiping God? And we let God work out the things in their life. And we let God love the hell out of them. It'll make you uncomfortable. The first time you, 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 you sit down beside one that can't stay awake, not because it's hot in here, not because they stayed up late, but because they just shot up before they walked in the door and all of a sudden they felt like they had to be in the presence of God. And they fall asleep and they lean over on top of you. What are you going to do? Catch them at the back door? Now listen, you don't need to come back in here acting like that again. How about we just be the body of Christ? You're welcome here. Most who came weren't purified yet. They hadn't understood this yet. And they still brought them into the house. And they still let them worship this mighty, awesome, wonderful, fantastic, loving God. But Hezekiah prayed for them. He didn't judge them. He didn't condemn them. He prayed for them. Oh, yeah, fill the church up, but fill it up with people who think, act, believe, and, and behave just like I do. Well, you're boring. <laughs> I had de- hey, I'm had telling y'all, I had D. lay hands on me last night before I preached this message. She didn't know what I was gonna say. Hezekiah prayed for them saying, now look, what, look at Hezekiah's prayer. Lord, take it away from them. Lord, drive it out of them. I speak of this thing and I declare over them. No, that is not what Hezekiah prayed at all. Hezekiah said, may the Lord who is good Everyone who sets his heart on seeking God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even if he is not clean according to the rules of the sanctuary, you want to be the church, we want to focus on revival as we bring him in and we God said, who sins you forgive? We don't understand that about the ecclesia. When Jesus looked at his disciples and said, who sins you forgive will be forgiven. Who sins you remit or retain will be retained. Oh my gosh, I, maybe you weren't ready for this, I don't know. He said, back it up Bob, may the Lord who is good, Pardon. He didn't judge them. He didn't confront their sin. He didn't preach on them. He said, May the Lord who is good pardon everyone who has their hearts. They're here. They're worshiping. They're here. They're worshiping all right, Lord, I don't understand. It's not what I would do. They're not acting how I would act. They're acting completely, they're living completely contrary than what I would live. But you know what? I'm gonna take myself out of this situation. I'm gonna let you be God. And I'm gonna let you be good. And all I ask is you pardon everyone who has their heart set before God. Whether they are clean according to the rules or not. And the Lord heard, and he healed the people. (laughs) Oh, folks, church can look a whole lot different than what it's been looking. Real quick, can I give you just last three last things real quick? I won't read all the scriptures. What is the result of a body of Christ acting like this? What is the result? Of this type of kingdom focus first whole cities will be changed if one body of Christ will start acting like this whole cities will be changed that's all it took to one body one temple in second Chronicles chapter 31 verse 1 it says and when he and this had ended the Israelites who were out in the towns of Judah smashed the sacred stones they cut down the poles the Asherah poles They destroyed that. See, they started doing it on their own. And after they had destroyed all their temple, the last part of that verse, they returned to their own homes. What happens is when one body of Christ, one body of God started acting like this and one man of God started praying like Hezekiah prayed and said, they're not clean. I would say they're not clean according to the rules. It's my opinion, God, but hey, Pardon them, God, if they're not. But what if they just keep doing it? Then why would I ever just say, just keep pardoning them, God? It'll kick in. Whole cities will change. What happened in 2 Chronicles chapter 31 is they went out and changed their city after that. It wasn't left to the church to do it anymore. This type of revival will change and protect a whole city. It'll protect the city. I'm telling you, why do you think? Well, I don't know, don't tell me. I'm convinced, Perry, that businesses are still opening. I get on indeed.com, I get on these things, places in Cambridge are hiring, why? Because there's about 50 of us who are gonna declare that Cambridge is lovely, she is beautiful, that businesses are attracted to her. 2 Chronicles chapter 32 verse 22 it says the Lord saved Hezekiah and the people of Jerusalem from the hand of Sennacherib king of Assyria and from the hand of others he took care of them on every side. So not only is a can a city be changed but a city can be Protected. We were just talking about praying over Cambridge and businesses coming in. This type of revival focus brings prosperity to cities. Second Chronicles, chapter thirty-two, verse twenty-seven. I'm going to read this one since we just made such a big deal about praying businesses in. And Hezekiah had very great riches and honor, and made treasuries for his silver and gold and for his precious stones, his spices and shields of all kinds of valuables. Why? Because he became focused on revival. He prayed for the pardon of people, not the condemnation of people. He also made buildings to store harvest grain, new wine and oil. If you don't understand much about symbolism in the word, new wine and oil is a representation of the spirit of God. It's the Holy Ghost there's churches can be built in full paid off mm. by this type of revival focus he made stalls for various kinds of cattle and pens for the flocks he built villages and acquired great numbers of flocks and herds for God had given him very great riches why because he was focused on revival real revival Not a bunch of meetings, telling people how bad they are, but by a temple of God rising up and becoming who she was supposed to be. Verse 30, last one. You guys have sat good. It was Hezekiah who blocked the upper outlet of of the Gahan spring and channeled the water down into the west side of the city of David. He actually invented running water for this area. This type of revival will give you ingenious ideas. Business runners, owners. I love the last part. He succeeded in everything he undertook. A focus on revival, not a focus on the government. But why? Why not a focus on the government? He was the king. Right, he was the ruling factor in that city. We started out with the scripture that Jesus said he's going to establish his ecclesia, that is us, the ruling governmental establishment in this city. Not just us, every church is this. But I'm challenging Harvest to become this type. And when we become this type and we start living like Hezekiah, I'm telling you, this city is in it'll it'll they'll have to wear a neck brace for a month, their head will spin so fast from getting jerked around. This place can be turned. But it's not gonna happen just being the normal church. With the normal people. Who's clean according to our idea of what clean living is but who will let them come in and worship there's no way they're worshiping God I know how they live glad you're God and can judge that because I'm not <laughs> and all of a sudden a city has changed well you all will just accept anybody absolutely And I'm not ashamed of it either. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you are in our life. We thank you for this great, great, glorious grace that you have given us. And Father, let us show us the things in our lives that are holding us back. And let us lay aside the weight and the sin that we have that besets us. Let us quit trying to point out everybody else's sin, Lord. And show us the things that's holding us back. And we will move forward in Jesus' name. Amen? Amen. Amen? Amen. You are blessed, highly favored, chosen of God. So just go and enjoy it, and we will see you soon, guys. Bye.